0: my parents were um, protesting the war and the 60s and the civil rights movement and um, then they were also have always been you know involved in a lot of environmental issues but never they've never always been you know they've always been kind of independent all these issues of each other and i feel like we're starting to have this conversation and especially with the younger people of today i think maybe they get it a little bit more or so certainly they're getting it a little bit faster than than i did that you can't fix any one of these things without talking about all of them. From that perspective, this is one of the most hopeful times ever to be alive.
1: You've tuned in to How It Looks From Here, life in the time of climate change. Here in the mashup of reality and uncertainty, life looks different to you than it does to me the way race and gender, education and work, and everyday circumstances combine in any person's experience, well, it's different. For every person, how it looks matters. So we offer these interviews as a way of giving us all new ideas and inspirations for making our way forward together. I'm Mary Claire, and today I'll be talking with Karuna Eberle. Karuna is a freelance journalist, photographer, and filmmaker specializing in environmental issues, nature, travel, science, and history. Karuna is a multi-award winning book author for travel and nature books who lives her life in the fullness of the wide, wild world. She describes her life as centered in the natural world from her childhood in the mountains above 8,000 feet, to the recent year she and her husband Steve spent exploring the country in their van. This is How It Looks From Here, and this is Mary Claire. Today, I'm getting to speak with Karuna Eberl, who is in Colorado, and she'll be telling us more about where she is today. We're gonna learn more about Karuna and how she sees the world related to climate change. Um, In particular, Karuna, hi, I wanna know about the way that you live so fully in the wild, wide world.
0: Oh, first I should say, it's thank you, Mary, for having me, and, and it's great to be here. And, and I'm such a fan of your work, your and Gary's work, and full ecology in particular, which I left on a um, island that we were recently caretaking for the um, Keys Wildlife Refuges. So there were going to be a bunch of incoming student scientists, and so I left my copy for them to read. So how <laughs> that's fantastic!
1: That's quite the compliment. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I figured they could use, there was a lot of scientific books sitting around there, but I figured they could use something to brighten their days a little bit. So
1: That sounds wonderful. <laughs> That's really great. And so you were in, on one of the islands off the Keys, is that correct, in Florida?
0: Um, yeah, so we recently got back from a place called Ballast Key, which is a used to belong to one of the development moguls of Key West. Um, he bought it from the Navy in the 1970s. The Navy had been using it as a bombing range, so it's nine miles off of Key West, out in the not um, in the ocean. And so he restored it with a lot of native native plants, and he built a mansion on it, and um, actually a few couple of houses on it. And he would use it to entertain um, all kinds of dignitaries, and especially artists. He was a big foster of the arts um, community in Key West. So people like Truman Capote and Tennessee Williams stayed there and, and uh, it, it was the place to get invited to back in the seventies and eighties and nineties. And he passed away in 2018 and gave it to um, the nature conservancy and the Florida Keys national wildlife refuges. And since then they've needed people to, to caretake it, to be out there and have a presence on the island um, in between when students are doing research there. So we had the great fun opportunity to go out there and, and caretake the place for a while. And what did that mean for you? Um, what it meant to me, I don't know. It was really amazing to be the only people on a body of land and, and, and especially one that's so rich with nature. There's all kinds of wading birds and, and pelicans and cormorants and herons of all sorts, and um, and sharks that we would see swimming by all the time, and we got to know the <laughs> resident hawks on the island, and um, so it was just a just a, and of course you know conchs and coral and reefs, and it was just just such an amazing place. We still keep talking about how we still feel that we still feel the island, you know, kind of incorporated within us. Uh
1: huh. Yeah, I would believe that. And how long have you been back in the mountains?
0: Um, we've been back for oh, for probably a month, month and a yeah. half, something like that. Yeah. And and I should mention though that it sounds like a tropical paradise, but I, the word—if you actually look up the word "tropical" in the dictionary—it um, <laughs> I think some of the synonyms are like oppressive, and 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 it really. So the first few days there were really we really second-guessed ourselves because the electricity wasn't working. It's all off grid. Um, and it was it was so hot that like when it's buggy and and you couldn't open all the windows because then the mosquitoes would come in and it was just it was actually kind of a nightmare for a few days. Um, but then a cold front came through and we we sorted out the electricity. Steve's very good with stuff like that. So he actually was able to solve their their solar problems that they were having there. And then uh, and then it, it just got terrific after that.
1: Oh, so. wonderful. Yeah. So bug buddies. Lots yep. Of buddies. <laughs> Yeah. You were raised and made choices as you've grown to keep yourself really close to the natural world. How has that worked for you? How did how were you able to do that? And how has it served you?
0: I, I was really lucky to be raised by um, parents who had a, had a great love for the outdoors. My dad's an old mountaineer and a geologist, and my mom is a writer, and an editor, and, they, and a gardener, and um, so I grew up basically camping. I guess it's not a choice that I made to stay around nature. I, I think that I didn't, I don't really have a choice in that. It's just too much of who I am, but what I have noticed lately is that uh, up until five or six years ago, I feel like nature was always the positive influence in my life. And now it's a positive, but it's also always there, like everything that's going wrong. And it's been a shift to try to adjust to that.
1: So, so how are you dealing with that?
0: Have you? I'm coming to terms with knowing that, you know, the places that, that I've grown up with and I've known or even that I've seen in videos and, you know, they're just, they're just not, you know, things, you can't, you can't look backwards
1: there is a lot of grief that is required with that yeah. reality. And and so I'm curious about how you have let yourself grieve. For example, I know, I think I understand that you were raised around 8,000 feet, so way up in the mountains.
0: Yeah, right? yep.
1: That's where you grew up. And so what are you seeing there now that is just different
0: well one of the the early signs were that you know the ice the lake that we used to ice skate on as a kid stopped freezing you know maybe 20 years ago and then you know now with the you know the big thing here is the fires and the drought and so a lot of the places that the fires have been hitting in the last 20 years say are are these beautiful coniferous forests that that once the fires now once there's a fire they don't grow back in a lot of places and that's actually, and so it's a, just a changing landscape. And I was I was talking to a geologist and writer friend of ours, and he said, "Yeah." I said, "It's just a you know, it's a different ecosystem now. Like a lot of the West is going to turn into savannas, and and that's just the way that it is, <laughs> you know." So it's uh, so I see things like that happening. I see things like this year, and of course, it's escalating like it is everywhere. Um, you know, this year the the Colorado River is basically you know, it's death rattle. You know but denver's still trying to take the water from the headwaters you know more and more of it and uh lake powell is you know the the community there is pretty much lost their livelihoods i mean there's lots of other things you can say about lake powell where it might not be terrible if it went away but it's certainly bad for the for the people who depend on it for their living sure. um and we're in a we're in a you know right now we've got it's been the driest fall, I think, probably on record for Colorado, the, the front range, and here where I am in the San Luis Valley, is, which is uh, the highest Alpine Valley in the world. It's, we're at 7,500 feet. Um, there, we haven't had measurable snowfall yet, which we should, you know, usually we get our first big storm and well usually on Halloween which was always a bummer for us kids trying to right. go trick-or-treating and <laughs> covering up our costumes um but so we don't have that instead of that we're having dust storms right now um which is just a you know I've never seen anything like it growing up in Colorado and it's you know it's it's not just us it's it's everywhere that <laughs> things yeah. are changing so rapidly like Dallas so- Key for example you know it's, it's also bittersweet having you know going there and and realizing that I don't know maybe maybe that place has got 30 years left maybe not even that now that we've lost learned about this other huge Arctic glacier that's breaking loose you know and it's only three or four feet above sea level if that so
1: and so the, that that particular island would be submerged
0: oh yeah for sure all, all of the keys would be submerged The average height of the keys is three or four feet.
1: So above above sea level. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I appreciate about the way you're speaking of this right now, I'm thinking of, of people much younger than you. I'm thinking of people who are in high school and, in undergrad and how some of them are really tired of the language that softens what's going on. Because Mm. what's going on is what's going on. And so I'm thinking that one of the gifts to the social ecology that is us humans trying to make it through is whether we can speak with each other and be with each other in grief and in constructive, engaged really loving presence, loving the planet, loving each other. Can we do that? Can we be in the grief and keep going on? I know that you inform yourself a lot. You inform yourself directly by being in ecosystems and you inform yourself in ways that make it so that you're writing blogs that are really pretty amazing. Um, I mean, some of them, I think you would say you're you know, but, you know, I'm seeing things like this, the the skink story, Mm. you know, what would happen if the world no longer had skinks? You wrote that some years ago, but talk, talk some about how writing and listening to the natural world help you hold the grief and hold the engagement at the same time.
0: Grieving is a really important part of this process, I think. And just letting yourself be sad when you want to be sad. I think that for me, writing is a way to cope with that and to try to try to share feelings. And my blog is is, you know, quite informal. It's and it and it definitely swings with my moods. You know, sometimes something happens in the in the news and it's easy to get quite angry about it. And I'm trying to to be less like that now and just more accepting of where we are you know because that's how we can all get through it together and you know and and we have to find a way so we have to keep exploring what those ways are and realizing um you know so my my parents are um, zen buddhists and i was raised that way though i don't really you know practice it officially Um, but one of the big ideas in zen buddhism is impermanence and that everything is, is always changing which is the same as Everything is always evolving everything is always um, um, searching for different ways to, to be um, in the universe. And so I, I feel that, you know, we have to see where we are as, a, as an impermanent situation. And if, you can, if, if we can let go a little bit of, you know, just the horror of the way things are changing and, and use that to, to move into the future and have these conversations and have these difficult conversations that we're going to have especially with young people Uh, I think I think well I mean maybe not everyone feels like this but I do feel like everyone who's maybe in their 40s and older feels a a little bit of um, guilty relief that we're not the younger generation you know (laughs) and um, and and I just I just don't understand I don't understand how few politicians are listening to this right now you know, and, and taking this seriously, and I, I, it just baffles me, you know, yeah. that we have the, the, and even now that things are, you know, it was one thing 30 years ago when no one, the science was new, and the oil companies were sowing all the seeds of, of discontent and disbelief, and um, and we couldn't really see things changing on a broad scale, but in the last few years, I feel like, Things have become so apparent, and and people are much more educated about it, whether they believe it or deny it or anything. That I it seems um, seems quite impossible to me that that we as a species aren't getting together more, and we're still squabbling over all of these little, you know, political things.
1: <laughs> well, and so I believe that that is true. I see that all the time, all the squabbling. And all the, we see the placing of priority on um, really all the separate thinking on how much can I get, you know, how much, you know, the, just all the things that we could classically complain about. And yet, the opportunity for us to speak about this together and know that ears are gonna hear this. People are thinking about these sorts of things and they want to be able to hear how other people are making sense as they're trying to make sense. And here we are so isolated in COVID. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, it's very, very difficult. And yet more attention is turning to how precious this time is, how precious this planet is and how we're it. Yeah. We are the planet. And this species of ours may or may not make it. But the question is, how do we wanna be with each other, whatever the outcome going forward? And so as you say, um, you were saying, accepting things as they are. Can you identify some path that got you there? Did your writing help you get there?
0: Yeah, I'm sure that my writing helped me get there. and I. And I think also um, writing and traveling too is a is a great meditation for me. Actually, to 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 wander, and I think uh, it also came from I decided that I really wanted to I really want to try to be more present. And I have to preface that with saying that I'm not I'm not fully there yet, but to be really present in. And the world and whatever is going on in my life at that moment and wherever I happen to be and whoever I happen to be with. Um, and I think that that's a good, for me at least it's been a, a good launching board to try to come to terms with the impermanence of everything else because all we really have, right, is this moment right now. It's an
1: empirical <laughs> question. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, often Gary and I find ourselves saying, don't believe a thing we say, check it out for yourself you know is there anything other than right now yeah and so as you move through the natural world though and you invite yourself into this presence it seems like that's a place where you've experienced a lot of presence is that so outside
0: oh yeah i i mean i uh i kind of wither and die if i can't go out for a hike and and florida even was hard for me even though it was um we spent uh I spent eight years or so in the Keys. Um, I was only gonna be there for a year or two and then a couple days before I was moving, I met Steve and so I stayed. Um, <laughs> but but um, it, it was tough for me being a mountain person because it's, it's very hot there for most of the year and it's very flat and it's very isolated. And so you can go boating, but it's not really like exercise and you can you know you can go scuba diving and snorkeling and that's fun but there's really no way to to suspend you know a whole day going off on a hike into the wilderness and and for me that got really draining on my soul and and took a toll mentally and spiritually and physically and um, so it's it's really it's really important for me to be in a space that has a lot of nature that i can go out and explore and it helps me clear my head and and just in connect with the rest of the world, I think you had mentioned, um, you know, some of this connection. One thing I've been enjoying about um, learning through researching and writing is just the how all of the how all of this is connected. How human rights and environmental things, and politics, and you know everything in the world is is connected, and in, in racism especially learning so much more about how that weaves into all of this which is just so phenomenally deep in this country but I it also is really uplifting because I feel like you know never before have we started we really had these kinds of uh, conversations you know my parents were um, protesting the war and the 60s and the civil rights movement and um and they were also have always been, you know, involved in a lot of environmental issues, but you know, they've always been kind of independent, all these issues of each other. And I feel like we're starting to have this conversation and especially with the younger people of today, I think maybe they get it a little bit more or so certainly they're getting it a little bit faster than, than I did, um, that you can't fix any one of these things without talking about all of them. From that perspective, this is one of the most hopeful times ever to be alive.
1: Yes, isn't that something? it's it's got some of the greatest grief and some of the greatest hope
0: yeah yeah and from an environmental standpoint too um you know when i was growing up um until i was seven or eight we lived in uh illinois and and you know we were vegetarian buddhist hippies living in small town illinois and no one had ever seen such a thing they didn't they didn't even have any idea how to relate to us um, and, and I feel like that's been a lot of my life, being um, into in the nature and environmental stuff and um, you know, speaking out against chemicals and things. It's, it's always been f- very fringe, I felt like. I felt like my whole life I've been this weird kind of sideshow that, that no one's listening to. And suddenly there's millions of people having these ideas and having these conversations and that's that's really positive as well so it's really even though it's not even though it's just a small percentage of people still it's it's almost mainstream now
1: this is mary claire and how it looks from here stay with us we'll be back after this brief break If you could say what the land was that jumped into you and helped you to know who you are, would you say the mountains, what would you say?
0: I would have to say the mountains because every time I'm um, back around that seven to 8,000 feet in the Rockies, uh, the Ponderosa forests and um, the mountain meadows and the that, that's where I feel most at home because that's where I spent Um, most of my formative years from the time I was seven or eight until um, until I went off to college so that's my that's kind of my home feeling and and high alpine stuff too of course because I've done a lot of hiking and climbing um, with my dad up to the up to high peaks Um, but I feel a deep connection to so many other places too I feel a really deep connection to um, like the Utah desert and, and the Mojave desert and um and i went up to the olympic peninsula for the first time uh last is it last summer um year and a half ago Steve and i drove up there and and i felt and that was just amazing place too and i so so i i guess i feel connected to almost every terrain but the one that that i spent my formative years in is you know still feels the most like home
1: right right but it sounds like it jumped into you in a way that makes it so that you do have this orientation then towards every place you go, that you're oh, curious sure. to learn.
0: Yeah, and you know what I found, and I've, I've tried to give this advice to people who are trying to get more into nature, um, is to, or environmentalism, is to, it really helps to get a curiosity about geology and about biology and ecology. And, and even though there's something you know kind of shallow about just about knowing the names of things of formations of flowers of of trees it really just brings you it really brings it into focus more it, it opens up your senses and you're and then you see a uh, you see a rock differently you know if you know that that's a batholith of you know granite or 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 if you see that there's an alluvial fan in this valley then you, you know what caused that then you you know, you just start seeing the world so much more fully, or at least the world of nature. It's um,
1: like having names for your cousins or having names for the people in your community. It's, it's right. easier to be friends with them then.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it opens up the whole new world. And once you start looking, like, I started, we started getting interested in mushrooms um, a couple of summers ago and so we got a mushroom book and we started to notice mushrooms everywhere that we never had you know different fungus on trees and 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 then it was like wow here's this whole new world that we just discovered that you know we hadn't know every once in a while and see oh there's a mushroom but you never paid attention to how, right. how diverse the community there was
1: well and mushrooms are very good teachers about how everything is connected
0: oh yeah yeah as we're when learning more
1: that hurt the mushrooms are what bring them back yeah significant part
0: right and how they connect our soil and our yeah everything
1: well i know that um not long ago and for at least the second time but maybe you've done it more than that many times you uh came up with a collection of best gifts for outdoor lovers (laughs) but what i want to ask you about that is that it seems like you've got this um you use your writing as a way to give people information, but also to bridge people into the natural world, is is that part of what you were doing with that
0: listing? Yeah, so I got a I got a regular writing gig, which is is been a blessing, um, but it's not exactly the type of outlet that I would normally write for, um, and it's a it's a DIY uh, website and. Um, so most of their stuff is construction and you know, remodeling and stuff like that. But uh, I got in the nature beat there. Um, and so it's been, it's been fun. I write about everything from like the gift guide for outdoors people to um, kinds of bird seed. And, and I found that it's a really, it's actually a really powerful outlet that there's here, I'm getting in front of a group of people that don't normally think about things like this and I have a real opportunity to insert environmental awareness into all of the stories that I write about. So um, even the other day I was writing about light bulbs, which doesn't sound environmental at all, but you know, I, can, I can steer the conversation in it and be like, make sure that you switch to LEDs and this is why, and so there's, um, you know, I feel now I'm finding that every article that I write, I can, I can infuse that knowledge into it somehow. Um, so it's been, it's been rewarding from that standpoint, even though it's a, you know, a, a, an audience that I probably don't have a lot in common with most of the people um, who, are, who are reading that. Right. Except that now I... that we're remodeling a, a house from the ground up, um, Steve actually has used their, he comes across their articles and uses them a lot for stuff that he's I trying bet. to figure out.
1: I bet, yeah, I see that. I saw that, that you had done recently articles on boric acid and pesticides so that people who are taking care of their gardens have different choices and also things you can do to take care of your fire extinguisher. Each of those, you've been able to find a way into talking about the natural world it appears and why yeah. think about the connection,
0: yeah. And and the, the pesticide one, the boric acid one, I was real hesitant to take, but then I thought, you know what, I'm probably, the better person to write about this because I'm not going to be like rah rah pesticide you know (laughs) and so you know I could I can um outline the the damages that it can cause too a little bit a little bit more um than another writer might so so I said yeah I'll I'll do that one that's probably a good one to do too
1: well it 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 seems like what you describe is a life that has been kind of on the margins because of the love for the natural world and your comfort in the natural world, this that you got from being born to the parents you were born to, and from living up at 8,000 feet, and then from continuing your life based on that beginning, um, so that that's becoming, you're saying, it sounds like a little less marginal, more people are curious, about what one can learn about being that close to the earth. You were mm-hmm. saying, yeah. And but at the same time though, do you feel most comfortable on the margins and then just dipping into the systems of humanity when you must?
0: Oh, I mean, yeah, if you talk about the system as in like the system that we live in, you know, I've, I very much have, have done a good job of keeping out of that. Um, (laughs) and steve and i actually laugh at that a lot and i don't know if i if that's been intentional um, an intentional choice to stay out of the system to some extent uh, or if it's just naturally happened because of my interests Um, but it's i always find find myself there and now steve is there with me too because when you had asked about the van when um, COVID hit he lost his business in the keys he had a marine upholstery shop and we took off um, in our van that we had converted. It's a, it's a ProMaster diesel van, big white van. Um, we decided we were going to move to Colorado. It was an excuse we needed, so we dropped our stuff in storage there. And then we took off and spent the rest of the year exploring the, the West. Um, and then we decided, when we were done doing that, we decided about a year ago that we needed to do something for work. And so we bought a, an abandoned house, a house that had been Abandoned for 12 years in a town that's nearly a ghost town, a very tiny little place that's mostly vacant houses, um, rural Colorado, and we started working on that. And when we started working on that, it didn't have power um, or anything. We had to gut it completely. So we were still living in our van, doing that in the in the winter, and it was you know minus 13, I think, out a lot of the nights, and um, you know, and we we were just as happy living in the van as we are now that we've kind of partially moved inside um, (laughs) since we have since we have walls and plumbing now Um, and we were joking that you know most people they they you know they get to our age and they you know they're pretty well established and and have things like a house and and careers and we really haven't um, haven't reached that level yet but we kind of enjoy it that way (laughs) yes yes so, you know, yeah. there's a little concern, like what'll happen when we get older and, you know, we don't have a pension or anything like that, but I've, I've never been able to function well in a, I've had a few office jobs and I, and I, they, they implode within six months. I just, it's feels like a prison to me. Um, some people thrive in that environment, but I've, I feel that I, I don't like to have to show up to one place all the time every day. It's, that's a real difficult. Like a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate this this reflection because there are many many people who find themselves not enamored of the system they will do it when they must but they would like and so just to know that there are other people out there who are closer closer to the earth and listening to that. And this is what humans have been doing for time immemorial. It's not that it's new.
0: Right? Yeah. That's, that's true and it's um you know it's difficult because unfortunately what our society and our system of society values is is money um and that's what we put our priorities on usually and that's what we we how we judge other people you know based on whether they have money or not and um unfortunately getting close to the earth and and rethinking these things is not a profitable <laughs> business ever <laughs> Um, <laughs> But uh, so that's the hard part if you're going into a career to try to figure that out, you know, how do you how do you do it. Um, yeah. uh, but it's, but I hope that we as a society start to shift our values from that and, you know, that someone who is taking care of an elderly parent or a kid or Volunteering to plant trees is as valuable, if not more valuable, to our society than someone who is working in an office trading stocks, you know, or, or writing advertising copy for, you know, for soap.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So, um, as we come to a close in our conversation, um, thinking about people who, no matter their age, find themselves just really too often overwhelmed by the uncertainty, by the impermanence, by those those truths that have always been true, but are so much more in our face because of COVID and because of climate change. What would be your advice? What would you say from where you sit in your life? What would be helpful? What's helpful to you that might be helpful to them?
0: I I think the greatest um, I think that one of the easiest ways to cope with all of this is to raise your voice and to do something about it. I think that that having that empowerment to be involved and to try to make a difference is one of the it's one of the greatest things that people can do. Um, otherwise, you feel quite helpless if you just. If you're just in watching this unfold um, and I, I saw somewhere once someone, I can't remember who it was, but whoever it was, they said, you know, no one, no, no um, scientist or environmentalist has ever reached the end of their career and said, Oh, I spoke up too loudly. You know, everyone gets to the end of their career and says, I should have been louder. I should have said more. I should have spoken my mind when it was uncomfortable. And so I think that's maybe, hmm. yeah. So I think it's speak up and and follow your passion, do what you think is right. I think another important part is it's easy to feel like one person doesn't make a difference, but collectively, everybody made a difference. And that sounds, you know, a little bit trite but no one should underestimate the influence that they can have. And even if they're not in the headlines or um, you know, the most famous person talking about this or doing something about it, what they're doing is another, influencing other people and it's making a difference in the, in the way that we steer our earth. You know, Everybody is only one person on this earth and it, yet it gets steered in many directions. And so it takes, it takes all of us to, to steer its course. And we're all important in that.
1: Well, I'm very grateful for your speaking about your experience and your perspective. There are more people out there that share it than you probably know, and it will be a wonderful, um, you know, that connection, the speaking out and the acting and you use your writing to do that. That's one thing, but knowing that there are other people out there who are like kindred spirits, that's vital. And so thank you for sharing your perspective today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Mary. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, I hope we get to do it in person before too yes, long. Yes,
1: before too long. <laughs> Certainly that will happen. All right, thanks, Karuna. Okay, thanks, Mary. <laughs> Learn more about Karuna Everell's work and benefit from her travel expertise at Wandering Dog Creations. That's wanderingdogcreations.com And check out her last suggestion for yourself. Consider what speaking out means for you. Is it writing letters or essays? Is it talking candidly with friends and family about your interests and concerns related to the environment? Is it going outside and listening closely to what the natural world has to teach you? It could be all three. During our conversation today, I referred to ideas from the book, Full Ecology, Repairing Our Relationship with the Natural World, published by Hay Day Books and available in bookstores everywhere. I spoke of Gary, referring to Gary A. Ferguson, award-winning nature writer and co-author with me, Mary, on the Full Ecology book. And now, before we go, a quick pitch for our podcast. If you like what you're hearing on how it looks from here? Make sure to subscribe. Let's get these perspectives out there. Tell your friends and family. Share a link right now with someone you know would enjoy learning how it looks from another viewpoint. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. How It Looks From Here is an educational collaboration between Full Ecology and the Systems Zoo. How It Looks From Here was created and produced by me, Mary Claire, and Joe LaVisca. Editing by Joe LaVisca. Music by Alexi Demre and Gary Ferguson. Find us on Instagram at Full Ecology and at www.fullecology.com. Keep listening and be in touch.